Hello, everybody, and welcome to Mom of the Hard Kid. Today, we're going to be going back over the psychopathic tendencies of a child. Now, remember again, children are not diagnosed with psychopathy. Children are diagnosed with callous, unemotional traits. So when you're trying to find out whether or not your child is psychopathic, they're not going to tell you that because that's not really a diagnosis at all. But it's sort of something that they assign to people over the age of 18. And under the age of 18, they call it callous unemotional traits. Now there are tests for this. And one of the fun things (laughs) that I do every so often for myself is test where my child is on these behaviors to see where they fit in this psychopathic is.org screening. Now this is an ICU screening, which is the inventory of callous and emotional traits. And this is kind of where they go through and they tell you the risk that they see in your child. So we're going to jump in, we're going to do the test. And then again, I'm going to kind of explain to you how that shows up in my child. So the first thing you go is you go to psychopathic psychopathy is.org. <laughs> And they have screening, an ICU screening on there. Now this is, I mean, take this with a grain of salt. I mean, this is just something to sort of see if your fears are kind of in alignment with reality. Because I think when your children present very traumatizing behaviors to you, you just, you don't really know where to start. Well, this is a good place to start. And then if you have a score that kind of is surprising to you, you can take this information to their mental health professional if you find a good mental health professional. So the first question is gender. The second question is age. And they have this split into three sections, two to five, six to 14, and 15 to 17. Because again, you're not going to get this diagnosis over the age of 18, because it switches to a different diagnosis. So it says here that you read each statement and decide how well it describes the person being evaluated. And it says, don't leave any statement unrated. All answers are anonymous, we won't be able to identify. And that the answers help better perform inform and support the people in our community. So they're kind of just going through and asking these kind of simple questions. And then, and there's not very many of them. There's only what, 24 questions. So the first question is, and I answered this probably about a year ago when things were really hard for us. And then I answered them now. And I will tell you the difference between those two scores. But she's definitely improved a ton in that time. And I'm really proud of those improvements. But I will tell you more about that in a minute. So the first question is expresses his or her feelings openly. Now mine is definitely true. Definitely truly expressing those emotions. Very, very, very openly. Now that is to me, she's not going to do that to somebody else. So one of the things I did before I did this episode is I interviewed her because she's homesick today. And she's upstairs with songs in a room because this is a really hard topic to walk in on. So I interviewed her and she did not want to talk about a lot of stuff. Because for her, it's really hard for her to think that people think of her in a bad light. So she will not openly express her feelings 
maybe to other people, but she definitely does to me. She definitely does to family. Um, it, she has no problem. (laughs) Number two, doesn't seem to know right from wrong. I put definitely true on this one because even though she is learning, she, it's one of those things that she doesn't know before she makes the choice. And she's starting to learn this and I'm very proud of her. And I think that this is a big difference between what it was before, uh, is concerned about schoolwork. Definitely true. Does not care who he or she hurts when he or she to get what he or she wants. Uh Uh-huh. I think she's learning on that one as well. So, uh, feels bad or guilty when he or she has done something wrong. Somewhat true. I do think she does. I think that she can feel and understand you know, why it's not a great thing. Does not show emotions. Not true. She definitely does. Number seven, does not care about being on time. No, she absolutely cares about being on time. Is concerned about the feelings of others. I would say somewhat true. She very much, especially if that person is hurt, she's there. But when it comes to other stuff, especially like it said before, if it gets in the way of what she wants to do, she doesn't really care. Um, does not care if she's in trouble. Absolutely not. (laughs) I mean, she does hate being impeded, but she doesn't have that connection that most children do where they're like, Oh, I'm in trouble because I did something wrong. Hers is crap. I'm in trouble. I hate being in trouble. This is so stupid that I'm in trouble. I hate that she puts me in trouble and connecting that back to because I did something wrong doesn't happen. So number 10, does not let feelings control him or her. She's getting better at that as well. So, but I would still say those feelings definitely have a large role in her life. Number 11, does not care about doing things well. She definitely does. Number 12, seems very cold and uncaring to each other. Nope. To others, I mean, nope. She seems very caring. 13, easily admits to being wrong. No. <laughs> And in a laughable, loud, capital letters, exclamation point, no. Uh, Number 14, it is easy to tell how he or she is feeling. Yes, it is very easy to tell. Number 15, always tries his or her best. I put no. There are some times, so I'm going to put somewhat true, because there are some times that she does, but most of the time, no. Um, Number 16, apologizes to persons that she has hurt. This is weird because she does care about pain and she does care if someone is in pain. But if she's the one that put them in pain, she can't quite get to that point where she's like, oh, yeah, I feel so bad because she feels very justified in her feelings. And so I put not true because it's never genuinely that she's sorry for what she's done. Number 17, tries not to hurt others' feelings. No. (laughs) Sometimes I feel like that's her only goal in the day. 18, shows no remorse when he or she has done something wrong. I put somewhat true because I do think sometimes, sometimes it's there. Is very expressive and emotional, definitely true. Does not like to put the time into doing things well, somewhat true. So I think she does 
try sometimes to put that effort in and it really frustrates her when she can't get it right. Number 21, the feelings of others are unimportant to her. I put somewhat true because again, this is one of those things where kinda, kinda hides his or her feelings from others. Um, sort of, sort of, uh, works hard on everything. Not everything, not a lot of stuff, but sometimes, sometimes, and does things to make others feel good. And I put very true on that one. Very true. So then you go get your screening score. And the child received a score of 32 out of a possible 72 points. This score places the child in the 95th percentile on the ICU. In other words, this child's score is higher than 95% of children the same age and gender. And I was like, what? And this bumps her to at risk. But I do have to say, if we, when I did this a year ago and I had those few other things change, she was in the 96th percentile and she had a very high risk. So, hey, look at this progress we're making. <laughs> so then it kind of talks about, you know, making an appointment with your clinician and other steps and, and useful opportunities and and things of that nature. So I'm going to go over again. I kind of did this originally when we talked originally about psychopathy, but I'm going to explain to you what it looked like again for us, because that's a really high score. And I felt like I was, you know, on the edge of like, I tried really hard to err on the side of giving her the benefit of the doubt. So we're kind of right at that cusp line between high risk and very high risk. So here's what I was seeing that caused me concern in the first place. Number one, she would smile when she would make me mad. So she would have these gigantic tantrums. And then when I would start to get angry, her eyes would light up and her little cheeky boos just couldn't help but pull up the sides of her mouth. She would try so hard to not smile, but she was just so pleased. And that was, that was disconcerting. Like it was, it was one of those things where you're like, what? So number two, punishments did not help. She would laugh when she was punished. She would be like, good, good, fine. And it took me a long time to realize that she was breaking those rules on purpose. And I found out because she would eventually tell me she would be so mad at me for other things that she would be like, oh yeah, well, I'm going to do this because it makes you mad. And I love making you mad, you know, stuff like that. So number three, everything was self-centered. She could not see anything from an angle other than herself. She didn't, she wasn't polite. She wouldn't say please. She wouldn't say thank you. She'd just be like, I need food now. Get me lunch. You know, stuff like that. So, and I know I talked about this earlier, so I won't, I won't touch on it very long. But if she was told no, then she would scream for hours and she would punch herself and scratch herself and she would just do all of these things for hours. So number four, she would just lie all the time lies. And we've worked on this a little bit and she doesn't find as much of a personal benefit to lying because it required the same kind of consequences as 
the initial action of whatever it is she did and was lying about. So she quit liking lying as much. But if she doesn't want to get in trouble, it's very toddler-esque. Like if you see a lot of these behaviors, it really is almost like she's stuck in toddler. So she, number five, sneaking. She'd get up at night and take treats and do everything she was told not to. I had to clear off her bed and and inside her bed, there were candy wrappers and chewed up candy everywhere. And I was like, I had to take off her mattress. That's what I meant to say. I was taking off her mattress. I was vacuuming under her bed and just candy wrappers and everything everywhere. Well, uh, uh. <laughs> I mean, I think kids do some of these things. I think what it is, is the, the fact that all of these are done. So the hurting animals, you know, she gets really jealous. So if I, I cannot show my cat any kind of affection if my daughter is mad at me, because then she'll be really angry at the cat. So number seven, she has a fascination with death and mutilation. I think I've talked about this before. I think I've talked about most of these things. So I'm just going to repeat them. But I'm sorry that I am repeating them. So when the cat catches a mouse, and I have to pull her away from the window, and she's screaming because she just wants to watch it all. Or um, how she just, you know, fantasizes and talks about it and things like that. And again, I feel like I've told all y'all guys all of our stuff now. But just as a reminder, I told her therapist and her therapist was like, yeah, okay. And I just thought this seems big. <laughs> like This seems like a big thing to me. And the therapist was like, meh, no big deal. Okay. And number eight, she had insincere, charming relationships. So this is an overlap with disinhibited social engagement disorder. And she just makes friends really, really quickly. She chases her dopamine, anything, anything she will do for a thrill. Sneaking, unsafe behavior, making friends, you know, anything that is chasing that thrill, she will do. She's, she has chilled about this a little more because she has gotten physically injured doing some of these things. And ever since she started her medication, she can actually feel that physical pain. She couldn't feel it before she was on her medication. So that has improved over the time, but it's still really hard for her. She has a lot of impulsive behaviors where she's just like, what? Like I wanted to, you <laughs> know? And then number 10, she didn't take any responsibility ever. She can't admit that she was wrong. She can't, she'll never agree with me. And it doesn't matter if it makes sense for her to disagree. And so, you know, there's a lot of diagnoses that intertwine here and it gets so confusing. And to be honest, I think I give a lot of flack to the mental health field because I think that I expect them to know better by now. And they don't. But also, I understand that this is a very complex situation. And there is an overlap. There's an overlap with ODD. There's an overlap with the mood disorders. There's an overlap with, you know, all of these different things like laced in there. It's like a gigantic braid with tons of pieces in it. And they just overlap. And so it, it makes it really hard to see, but it be, can be really concerning 
when your child is exhibiting these behaviors. Because, you know, one, two, three of these behaviors, yeah, okay, uh, 10, all 10, like that's, that's a lot of behaviors. And that's a lot of things for one person to have inside them that is complex. And just like that braid, it's like if you're trying to brush that her hair and it was in a braid with that many pieces, getting through all these problems just snags and catches on all of those things. And, and it becomes a very complex thing. And undoing it, I would, I would use the braid analogy still and say undoing it, you have to take off that little hair thing at the end and then slowly brush from the bottom. And that means you have to address this piece and that piece and this piece and that piece and this piece and that piece and that piece and this piece. And you can't just brush it all from the top and make it work. You have, and you can't just say, I'm just going to take out this one issue because you can't. It's braided in there. You have to slowly address every little piece and it, and it's really hard. It's very complex. And as hard as it is as the mom, it is incredibly hard as the child. Because in a way, they recognize that they are different from the people around them. I think that any of us who are parents have noticed that our children recognize those pieces of them that are different. And when almost every piece you have is different, it makes it really hard for you to understand your place in the world. And it can be really heavy. But I think that we get to a point where we understand that our children can have these psychopathic traits. But what do we do about it? Because when you go in research, and when you look it all up, they'll tell you all the here's what it is, here's the facts. But what do you do about it? So I remember, and I spoke about this earlier, these are sister episodes where I had said that there are a lot of psychopathic people in the world and you have to be able to construct life and the structure of life and how it benefits your child. You have to be able to walk through the pieces of life and explain why it got that way in the first place. And you have to do it without emotion You have to do it from a place of authority without being overbearing. So one of the reasons I bring this lesson up again, even though I've already addressed it, is because I think it is such a critical piece for parents that have children who are oppositional. I think that we try all of those normal things, all of the hugs, all of the kisses, all of the chore charts, all of the all of the things that we try, you know, I'm going to take away this, I'm going to give them a spank, I'm going to do this, I'm going to, you know, and we try so hard. And I think the piece that is missing is the logic to the children. When I took my daughter on her field trip yesterday with her class, I noticed and observed something that I kind of found fascinating. We were sitting in the bus and we pulled up to the exhibit and someone from the exhibit got on the bus and was explaining things to the teachers. And as a volunteer, I'm listening, but the kids in the back of the bus are getting rowdy. And so the teacher is like, Hey, you guys gotta be quiet. You gotta be quiet. And they're, they don't care. They don't care at all. Right. They're just being rowdy. (laughs) So I got up and I turned to them 
And I don't say this to say that I'm like amazing because it's really coming out that way and I hate it. But I turn to them and I explain to them what's going on because that's what I have to do with my kid is she's going to be in a place of unequilibrium. (laughs) There's got to be a better word for that. Disequilibrium. I'm not going to go with that equilibrium anymore, but Uh, there's no balance there in her head. And you have to create the balance because there's an anxiety that comes from not knowing what's next. So here, because it is just what I have to do with this kid all the time, and I have another kid who's high anxiety, that I have to do it with all the time. And so I, I just assume, hey, if you tell these kids what's happening, they're going to understand. I mean, they're in the eighth grade, like they're going to understand. So I turn around and I tell them and then they, they just are like, okay. And they just start talking quieter. And it just for some reason takes out that element of anxiety. That's what we have to do with the kids who have psychopathic or defiant behaviors is you have to show them the entire parameter, you have to give them an idea of what's going on in life and explain to them why their actions don't fit in. Because I think what is happening with a lot of these children, the ones especially that don't realize they're doing it, is they they just see the world based on what they're feeling in the minute. And they just have to be pulled back a little. And they can often recognize, oh, oh, okay, you know, oh, I see. And a lot of, I truly think, and again, I am just a mom, but I truly think a lot of the behaviors that come with reactive attachment disorder children and disinhibited social engagement disorder children, and even some oppositionally defiant children is anxiety. I think they get nervous about things and then they kind of respond in a fight kind of manner. And then it ends up being really overwhelming to the caregivers because life is overwhelming. And so that's what I have observed in my children's lives. And this youngest one, I even went to her psychiatrist and I said, hey, I think she's got a lot of anxiety. Now, (laughs) I've gone a lot of off topic here because psychopathic tendencies, you tend to think that there isn't any. You tend to think of serial killers and how, you know, everything should line up in that direction. But the truth is, I think there is that disequilibrium word I think I might have made up inside their head and they have to balance it. And the way that they balance it is sometimes, you know, turning off emotions and sometimes seeking revenge because that creates balance. And so when you can create the balance inside their mind, and again, I'm just a mom explaining what happened with my child. When I could create that balance inside her mind, it wasn't as necessary for her to find a way to seek the balance. She could wrap her head around things that weren't automatically coming to her. And it was so beneficial. So my advice to me, (laughs) because I'm just a mom who's done this, is to err on the side of explanation. 
to give your child a chance to understand, give them information about a situation, more information than you feel like most kids think they need. Like, I remember my mom would be like, hey, we're going to grandma's. And I'd be like, what? Why? You didn't tell me. And I remember being so angry that she didn't tell me because I had to process things before I could make this decision. And so she's like, I don't know what the problem is. You know, we're just going to grandma's. But I it really threw me off. I needed to mentally put myself in a place and it didn't take long. So even, you know, I think I would have been benefited by a, hey, we're le- we're, I think we're going to go to grandma's today or plan on going to grandma's today. And then five minutes later, it's time to go to grandma's. But I had to be able to process it. And I think that that goes a long way with children who have behavioral issues. I think they like to be able to mentally prepare for things. I think it creates balance in their mind when they can kind of say, oh, I'm uncomfortable. I have anxiety. But then I have a bit to process and, and oh, mom's explained more about the process. I'm okay. And then they don't have to seek out those other behaviors to make their brain feel okay. Because I remember very clearly the grandma situation with myself, who had oppositional defiant disorder, is I am not okay. And then I'm loudly expressing just how I'm not okay. And my mom's like, do you want to go to grandma's? And I'm like, yeah, (laughs) I do. I'm just so mad at you for not telling me we were going to grandma's because it, it shifted my brain in a way that it couldn't shift that fast. And so a lot of times I personally believe that these kids can't shift that fast. And so then they end up having these kind of crazy explosive behaviors. Now you're going to have kids that fall outside of these parameters. And I know it because mine falls out of so many parameters that I understand that. But I do hope in some way, maybe some of this advice will be beneficial. And maybe there will be a reason I did it kind of twice. (laughs) It felt important for some reason. So I did it twice. But again, I encourage all of you who are curious about your child's behaviors to go to psychopathyis.org and check out the screening, see where your child fits. And then like me, I did it over time and I could see the beneficial changes in my child. And maybe that can be helpful for you too. Anyway, again, I wish all of you the best. Thanks for joining.